Today, South Africa celebrates Women's Day, a commemoration of the 1956 Women's March against the restriction of movement through the Dompas. This year, the day is celebrated differently, with no gatherings since the country continues to be under the coronavirus lockdown. It is also a day to celebrate women that are making significant contributions in different industries, and one such woman is motor trading executive Mashia Mayaba. She took some time to chat with the SAPC. You recently got appointed as the president of the National Automobile Dealers Association. How did the appointment come about and what went through your mind when you found out that you are the first black female vice president? During the lockdown period, NADA was very much actively involved with engaging with the government, engaging with labor, engaging with the original equipment manufacturers, in my context being Ford and Mazda. Obviously, just really wanting to understand the new normal, the pandemic that we're dealing with, the impact to the motor industry and to our businesses as dealerships. And I was engaging with the chairperson at the time, Mark Domise, and he was keeping me abreast of the developments. And then um, he invited me to join the National Executive Committee meeting of which I was then asked if I were to be nominated would I be interested in the position and I said yes and then I had to get approval from our motor retail CEO Mr. Roland Egger who gave me the thumbs up and just told me that I need to balance my workload because the position in itself or the role in itself is quite demanding but I did get approval and then the nomination came out and it was seconded by Derek Scora and it was put to the vote and I was there appointed and uh, what does that mean as the first black female for me it's yet another milestone but it brings me closer and closer to shaping and influencing the landscape of what the motor industry is going to look like from a dealership perspective for the young ladies and gentlemen that are going to come after us so it really really puts me in the cold face of sharpening and laying the landscape and determining what the future sustainability and longevity of this business looks like in short, please explain the role of the National Automobile Dealers Association in the motor industry. And since you've been appointed, what do you aim to contribute to the association? Another's role in the motor industry is one that really sort of represents the interests of dealership owners. So it would be dealership owners in their private capacities or dealership owners in terms of the groups like Barlow World, a Motors, a Supergroup, Unitrans, etc. And basically those are the dealerships that are selling new vehicles, either passenger or light commercial, heavy commercial vehicles, and then only qualifying used vehicle operations. It literally just represents the dealerships in South Africa. And then in terms of my contribution as vice chair to work very closely with the chairperson, but uh, my primary function and focus is on transformation, diversity and inclusion. And uh, secondly, also just to pretty much position the NADA Association to be quite futuristic and business ready for the new millennials, for the fourth industrial re revolution. So we, we've had NADA for, for many, many years and uh, we thank the contribution of the people that have been there and the pioneers of it. But just to bring a bit of a modern feel to NADA and to make it very interesting as well for the young people that are coming up and to make it relevant in terms of what is happening in the environment of the motor industry in South Africa. So you started off as a trainee in 1997 and worked your way up to management level. 
What are some of the things that you did to make sure that your career grows? Yes, um, I started off as a trainee and that journey for me is what really laid the foundation in terms of where I am today. But uh, the one thing that was very, very clear to me after my mother passed away is that I was alone, uh, responsible for my two younger siblings, and I had no other way out. I had no other alternative. So I had to make sure that I made this work. And making this work meant having a very, very solid work ethic and being reliable, you know, working with an integrity and actually respecting the fact that Bama Trakaya was putting food on the table to feed my sisters and myself, clothes on our back. It was just a high level of work ethic where I would do anything and everything that I was asked to do. And I would throw myself into my work. There's nothing that was too much to ask. I remember my branch manager at the time, Corinne Cooper and I, one of our trucks broke down on the way to Bloemfontein and it was a McDonald's truck and it had all the food in the refrigerator truck it was a refrigerator truck and mcdonald's was very very pedantic about the temperature of the truck the food quality from the time it leaves joburg to the food outlets and uh, when that truck broke down my branch manager and i it was a saturday night we jumped into a eight ton truck an empty eight ton truck and we drove to where the vehicle had broken down the truck was offloaded we delivered the goods to mcdonald's in record time two ladies in an eight ton truck and that's the level of commitment and dedication that I think ensured my career growth. What are some of the challenges that you encountered on your way up? Some of the challenges encountered uh, really, you know, the motor industry can be quite intimidating. And back in 1997, it was literally three years after democracy. The customer profile, the workforce profile was very much white and male dominated. And if there were women in the organization, you know, there were no women leaders. So you literally had to navigate yourself into this new environment. So the challenges for me really was just not firstly, not being taken seriously and not being acknowledged in terms of the role that I performed. I mean, I was the first black female operations manager within the Barlow World organization. So when you walk into a meeting or a boardroom, the first thing that is assumed is that, you know, you could be the receptionist or you're there to deliver some tea or coffee. And then when you assume a seat at the table and there's formal introduction and you just see the body language, you know, that says you don't belong here. So really it's been about being a sense of belonging and trying to find a space at the table of a male dominated a table and having their ear. So it's been having to work three times harder than my male counterparts just to get a little bit of recognition and credibility going and to foster those relationships where trust is earned and respect is there. And then that just pretty much sort of sets the tone and the basis of how you move forward. And it still hasn't changed today. I mean, in every level that I've occupied, even this one, I still fight for the same things that I fought for in 1997. The difference now is that, you know, I have these crucial conversations. I have these robust debates and I have to create an awareness because at some point something has got to give. The motto industry remains male-dominated. As a woman working in the industry, what do you think should be done to ensure transformation? Yes, the motor industry remains male-dominated. And as a woman, I honestly feel that, you know, the transformation, discussion and agenda should be driven from the top. The CEO sets the tone 
of the culture of the business. So in order for transformation and gender parity to take place, it has to come at a senior level. And you cannot pay lip service. You know, integrity is important. You have to walk the talk. So you have to make the appointments. You have to create visibility. You have to have the dialogues. You have to have some sort of a change management facilitation process and training and drive the culture from the top down. And us as women leaders in the motor industry, black is one thing, but as females, have to have our voices heard, have to make a difference, have to engage, and we have to hold our leadership accountable. And if our leaders are male, we have to hold them accountable because we also need to belong. We also want a sense of belonging because when you appointed us, you said to us, we are competent and you appointed us into these roles based on merit. So. That is how I feel the transformation should happen. You became the first dealer principal in 2011. What is a dealer principal and what were you responsible for? The dealer principal back in 2011, there was probably, if I could count to 10, the number of female dealer principals probably was virtually non-existent. And I was appointed as the first black female dealer principal in the country. And what that is, is you're pretty much the general manager of the business. If you own a dealership, and that's a debate for another day, then you will own the dealership and you're also a dealer principal if you don't appoint somebody to look after it for you. But in my context, working for Barlow World, a dealer principal is the general manager of the business. And in a dealership, there's five revenue streams, new cars, used cars, part sales, service, as well as F&I, which is finance and insurance. And, and you're pretty much the entrepreneur of that business. You're responsible for the output, you're responsible for the people, you're responsible for the customers, and uh, you're accountable to the OEM, which is the original equipment manufacturer, and that would be your Ford and your Mazda, etc., etc. But uh, yes, you, you pretty much run the show. That's what a dealer principal is. Of all your achievements thus far, which one stands out the most for you? And what more do you still want to achieve? There's two that stand out the most. So the first one would be winning Club of Excellence for Volkswagen South Africa as a black female dealer principal at the time. And it's a title that I still hold till today, 2020. And being appointed as the first black female franchise executive in the country. I mean, no motor group in South Africa has got that at this stage, except for Barlow World. And obviously the most recent one, which is being vice chairperson for NADA. And, you know, for me, it goes deeper than just my own achievements. You know, when I look at the landscape, when I joined women in the motor industry, they were reduced to salespeople administrators, switchboard receptionists, and no one ever, ever thought, or the ladies never thought that they would ever go up to management, let alone dealer principal. So, I mean, I'd never sold a car in my life. I've never been a sales manager. I came into the motor industry at dealer principal level. An achievement, one that really, really resonates the most with me, is that I was part of shaping an awakening, a consciousness two women in the motor industry that, wow, I can also become a dealer principal. And with this franchise exec thing, we've now taken it to the next level. Now it's no longer I can also become a dealer principal, it's I can also become a franchise executive. So it's about continuous improvement and evolution. What is your advice to women who want to get into the motor industry? 
Before I, I give advice to women in the motor industry, I think our responsibility as stakeholders in the motor industry is one where we need to reposition the perception of the motor industry and we need to reposition it in such a way that women can regard it as, as an industry of choice. You know, I'm on LinkedIn and all you see really is women that go into finance, medicine, science, engineering, etc. It's hardly ever that you'll see any posts related to the motor industry. So part of my responsibility as, as vice chair of NADA is to influence and shape the repositioning of the industry where women can resonate, where women would want to come and work in it and not just reduce to probably sales and there's so much you can a general manager of the business you can be an accountant you can be a financial manager you can be an engineer you can have technical expertise it really needs just a proper proper rebranding so i think that is what we need to do and my advice to women is that open your horizons you know broaden your scope the motor industry is not just about buying a car or selling a car there's so many elements to this thing i mean there's there's the original equipment manufacturers you know some not only women but some some people in this country don't know that there are manufacturers that produce vehicles in this country. The Ford Ranger is manufactured in South Africa. The Polo is manufactured in South Africa. So that's just one element. Then it's the component side of the business. Then it's government and the Department of Transport and the public transport infrastructure. There are too many elements in the motor industry that it can be ignored. We have to reposition it as an industry of choice. Tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and some of the things that molded you into the person you are today. I was born in Orlando East in 1974, and I was raised by a single mother, Poshia Musidi Mayaba. I have two younger siblings, Katie and KB, and I grew up in Soweto. It was a very, very humble upbringing, but the one thing that absolutely stands out for me was in 1982, my mother decided to move me from Zita Tele Primary School, which was in Orlando East, and sent me to a convent school, which was Mayfair Convent. It was a Roman Catholic convent, which was run by the nuns in England, and all of a sudden, I was the only black child in a classroom. So this first black female moment actually dates back to 1982 and that's where i got my education and from there i matriculated at saint Teresa's convent and went to university unfortunately dropped out after my mom died of breast cancer very very modest upbringing at some point we stayed in a back room in somebody's yard but the one thing that my mother never failed us and my sisters on was to give us a solid foundation of education so my one sister is a chartered accountant and my other sister is an author and and yes, I mean, there were nights where we went to bed and we only had bread and water to eat. There were nights where we went to bed where we had chicken licking to eat. But it was a struggle. And I've got the utmost respect for my mother. And the best thing that she could have done when she left me at the age of 21 is to give me a solid foundation to be able to fend for myself and my sisters after she had passed away. For more news, you can visit sabcnews.com or at SABC News on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. For SABC Digital News, I'm Lerato Matlala.